0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Surge. It's hard to pick a, a scene from The Princess Bride because there are a couple of great ones. <laughs> uh, but we are uh, concluding our movie series here this morning. I am E. Reese, your host, our executive pastor here. If you're busy with us, we just want to welcome you. Um, so what we like to do with our movie series is we like to go through the movie a little bit and try to be faithful to the film and talk about what the movie is talking about and then take a second run at it from the perspective of a community of faith. So uh, as we do that this morning, we're going through The Princess Bride. As I was preparing this, uh, this uh, thread popped up on Facebook that I thought was music, so I'm going to share this with you. But somebody floated the idea of a Princess Bride-themed restaurant where, you know, waiters say, as you wish, while taking your order. And then the comment section just loaded up with good ideas. So let me give you a couple of these. So if you finish the Fezzik in an hour, your meal is free. If you come in a wheelbarrow, uh, you get 10% off. (laughs) Whenever whenever people leave, they say, bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle as guests are leaving. Uh, you have a miracle Max's cure for the mostly dead dessert. It's a giant chocolate-covered cake ball. <laughs> and so uh, sometimes waiters will distract you and switch your wine while you're not looking. That would be, that would be good. Um, so here, here's one on the menu.
1: Um, there are a shortage of perfect chicken breasts in
0: this world. It would be a pity to not order these. <laughs> so it would be it's pretty good. Um, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. I'll be your server. Prepare to die. Sounds like, yeah, so it's a lot of fun. So The Princess Bride is a great movie. And it's one of the most quotable movies of all time. And this is because, wait for it, this is because The Princess Bride is a movie about words. It's a movie about words. It's a movie about language. Every major character and all the minor ones draw attention to the words that they say in really clever and amusing and ways that drive the story forward. So with Wesley, it's as you wish, starts and ends the film, you know, and he says, hear this now, I will always come for you. You know, later in the movie, did you say I do? If you didn't say it, it didn't happen. But he's drawing attention to the words that he's using. Buttercup says this at one point, you can't hurt me, Wesley and I are joined by the bonds of love and you cannot track that, not with a thousand bloodhounds and you cannot break it, not with a thousand swords. And when I say you are a coward, it is only because you are one of the slimiest weaklings ever to walk the earth, (laughs) right? The little Italian guy of, of... the scene is like, inconceivable, inconceivable. You keep using that word, I don't think you mean what you think it means. And, you know, with the giant with the rhyming, no more rhymes now, I mean it. Does anybody want a peanut? You know, there, there's all, every character draws attention to, to language. The six-figure man when he's torturing, torturing Wesley says this, I've sucked an hour of your life away. How does that make you feel? You know, be honest, this is for posterity. But the talking about it is the important part in the, present, in the presence of the film. Uh, Prince Humperdinck, which is a great name by the way, he's one of the the principal characters. That he just lies. Almost everything he says is a lie. He lies to set up the murder of Buttercup and Fram Gilder. He lies about letting Wesley go outside the fire swamp. He's gonna actually grab him and torture him. He lies about sending out his four fastest ships to find find Wesley. He said he lies. And in the in the story of the Princess Bride, this is very bad indeed because it is a film about language. And you know, say it with me: Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, (laughs) prepare to die, right? It's just this very quotable quotable thing. So every character, every major interaction, it comes back to language itself. And the film constantly draws attention to its own dialogue, which is fun if the dialogue is good enough. And this is because it's great. So let's, uh, let's play one more clip with some great language. Will you ever forgive me?
1: What hideous sin have you committed lately?
0: I got married. I didn't want to. It all happened so fast. Never happened. What? Never happened. But it did. I was there. This old man said man and wife.
1: Did you say I do?
0: Oh, no. Sort of skipped that part.
1: Then you're not married. You didn't say it. You didn't do it. Wouldn't you agree, Your Highness? A technicality that will shortly be remedied. But first things first. To the death! No! To the pain. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain, and I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. That may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. It won't be the last. To the pain means the first thing you lose will be your feet below the ankles. Then your hands at the wrists. Next, your nose. And then my tongue, I suppose. I killed you too quickly the last time. A mistake I don't mean to duplicate tonight. I wasn't finished. The next thing you lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears, I understand. Let's get on with it. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child at seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, Dear God, what is that thing, will echo in your perfect ears. That is what the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish, wallowing in freakish misery forever. I think you're bluffing. It's possible, pig. I might be bluffing. It's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass. I'm only lying here because I lack the strength to stand. But then again, perhaps I have the strength after all. Time up. Make it as tight as you like. Oh! Where's Fesick? I thought he was with you. No. In that case, mm -hmm. help him.
0: Why does Wesley need helping? Because he has no strength. I knew it. I knew you were bluffing. I knew he was bluffing. So the, once again, *The Princess Bride* uh, shows us language as a source of power. For love, it's "As You Wish." Uh, for justice, it's "Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die." For ultimate victory, to the pain. No, no, to the pain. So every major victory in *The Princess Bride* is won with words. Wesley wins Buttercup's heart with the words "As You Wish." Wesley wins each battle um, as early on with Inigo, Fezzik, and Vincini with a great conversation around the edges. He literally talks Vincini to death. And, you know, when they're storming the castle, sure, there's fire. Physic is a big guy with a Holocaust cloak. But they literally defeat the hundred men to get into the castle with words. I am the Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> there will be no survivors. The Dread Pirate Roberts is coming for your soul. You
1: know? But the guys run away, but they never actually fight anybody.
0: They talk them into running away. It's really, it's really kind of great. They don't actually kill anybody. They talk them into running. Um, and so uh, there's just this wonderful thing. When Inigo confronts the six-fingered man, the first clip we watched, his litany Hello, I am my McCrory. You come, my father, to to die. Every time he says it, he gets stronger. Every time he says it, he gets a little more sure-footed, a little faster, a little more to himself, and it enables him to overcome his injuries to deal out justice. And with the one we just saw, the To the Pain speech, it happens as Wesley literally talks Humperdinck into surrendering when actually he's barely strong enough to stand. The Princess Bride is about words, and it's a delight to watch again. So when we, when we get that idea... And so if you're convinced, if you get that idea, let's talk for a minute about God's word to us because the Bible actually talks a lot about God's word to us. And there are three, three quick things that I want to, to, to hit here and then we'll land on the last one and, and dig in a little bit. So the first one is is God's word to us is God's subjective word. I believe that God speaks to us directly. He did this all through the Bible and I think he still does this today. In Amos chapter three, it actually says this. It's this incredible verse. It says, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. That's an incredible statement. God doesn't move in the earth unless he lets us in on it. (laughs) That's pretty incredible. That's kind of terrifying and humbling and great and scary all at the same time because God is moving, but he actually wants us to be a part of his moving. He does nothing without revealing his plan to us. The second thing is this. God's word to us in Scripture, we believe that the Bible is inspired by God, that it's completely true that the Holy Spirit literally gave the guys down to the word of Holy Scripture to help us because we're not smart enough to get there on our own. So Second Timothy 3-16 says, this, says that all Scripture is God-breathed, literally inspired, and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. God's word to us is very helpful. Third instance of God's word that we hit, and this is really interesting. Uh, this is the first chapter of John that we uh, did with Dwayne uh, a couple of months ago. But it's it's this, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in this we get the idea of God's Word to us as Jesus himself. And that's the idea that I want to talk about a little bit. Um, On the way to that, I want to just say this. Uh, I I had the wonderful opportunity to do some graduate study, and part of what I was able to do in that is I master's in philosophy, and part of what my area of emphasis was on the philosophy of language. And so theological philosophy and the philosophy of language was my thing. And, and the philosophy of language is, at some point, it's pretty funny, because let me just, you know, save you some time, it falls flat, <laughs> right? So, so what they do with the, in the philosophy of language, they say, okay, here's how language works, and they try to they try to get there. And what they'll do is they'll say, they'll say something like this. They'll say, okay, let's figure out the nature of language. We're going to dig into the nature of language, and here's how language really works. And they'll, they'll start doing something called truth conditional semantics, which basically is language only has meaning when you say something that's completely true. And the problem is, it's like, well, language is clearly more than that, right? Because we lie or we say something that's partially true or we don't know what the truth is or we talk about a possible future where this might be true or that might be true or this third thing might be true. And this whole thing becomes hilarious when you read them a sonnet and they literally start crying like a toddler who needs a nap. You know, they just they break down. Have you have you ever seen a toddler in a in a grocery store where they'll just they're just they're all done and they'll just lay down on the floor and go, go limp? Entire philosophy departments will also do this when you get into the philosophy of language. It's it's, it's kind of terrifying. Professors just the it, it, we don't normally use this as an adult, but it's still it's still an option. So at some point in the history of the philosophy of language, some people decided to cut it out. They said, okay, we don't understand language, we we don't get it, but. We can talk about how it works. We can take a step back, and we can get into the nuts and bolts. And We can talk about how it works. And this kind of falls flat, too, but let me give you, like, one minute of semiotics, which is a lost language. So, basically, you have three ideas, concept at the top, symbol, and referent. And so, basically, the idea is we're walking through the woods, and we see a tree. The tree is the referent, an actual tree, like a tree.
1: And then we say, ah,
0: I can understand what a tree is. I can look at a maple or an oak, and I can understand both of those things are a tree. And then we come up with a word, tree. So even in the absence of an actual physical tree, I can talk to Luisa about a tree. I can say, oh, there's, I got a nice tree for my yard. And you go, okay, and he understands what that means. And so there's the actual tree, there's the idea of a tree, and then there's our word for a tree. And so people start talking about, okay, so this is how language works, and they, they, get, they go all the way down into the rabbit hole. So they talk about signs and sign processes, indication, designation, likeness analogy, metaphor, symbolism, and it goes on and on. Okay, so don't, don't worry about that too much. There's not going to be a quiz later. Uh, but the problem here, here is that we have a word, not just for tree, but we have a word for nothing. Right? And not just one word for nothing. We have lots of words that are not just the absence of value or the absence of meaning. And if you're if you're having trouble standing with me, don't worry about it. We're, well, this is actually going somewhere. Well, um, we have lots of words that are problematic, like indescribable, or inexpressible, unutterable. You know, or if you're smart enough, inconceivable. And, and if you're if you're really smart, you can work that into your screenplay. And the princess, is right. Um, but at this point, you have two choices. So I have a word for which there is no referent and no real concept <laughs> because like i can say it's in it's literally inconceivable i can't conceive of it and you all understood what i mean and you all understood what i meant by inexpressible and this is a problem so semiotics goes well and they start crying again you know so it's a problem but you can start crying again or there's a second option and this is why i'm doing this whole thing of pain language by its nature points beyond itself let me say that again language by its very nature points beyond itself now for christians this is we're like of course it points beyond itself. <laughs> you know it's like you know there's a divine component to language there's a spiritual aspect to all of this and we're trying to describe it in you know scientific terms and it, it's it's very hard to do so this goes beyond what we can easily see but in this way language becomes an open door to god this is why god speaks to us objectively this is why he gives us the bible as a primary connection point words to help us understand and it's why jesus when he comes to us comes to us as the word of God. This is also why in Exodus, when Moses is at the burning bush, he asks for God's name. What do we call you? Do we call you Bob? Do we call you Jimmy? What do we call you? And God says, no, I am that I am. I am the self-existent one. He's bigger than names. He can't be pinned down by a word. You know, we can't just go tree, and that's what God is. He's bigger than all of that. He's bigger than language. We can't pin him down with a sequence of words. He's bigger than logic. We can't cram God inside of our head. He's too big. He won't fit, and that's okay. This is actually good news because my head is very tiny, and in Amos, God speaks to us, and this is cool, but it's dangerous because we can also get off track. We have to be careful, but in Timothy, we see that we have scripture, and this is usually helpful because otherwise we're fumbling around with trees and reference, and like, and we know, it's like we get, we get confused. We start crying, but with, with God's Word, He can actually point us in the right direction, and it's hugely, hugely helpful in terms of how to think about the world in ways that are good. There's just not enough Kleenex in the world without that, but God has inspired the Bible to help us. Now, look, we still have to be careful because we can misinterpret, or we can bring our own baggage to the text, but we're still on much better footing with the Bible itself than just thinking stuff on our own and trying to start from zero. But, and this is the best part of all, this is the best part, with Jesus... As the Word of God, as the Word of God, we have an amazing connection. So the word, the word for word in John 1 is actually logos. It's the logic of God, the, the Word of God. But it's not a watertight argument. It's not a set of theological propositions. It's not a list of rules and regulations. It's not a do this and don't do that. Jesus comes to us as a watertight person not as an argument, not as, not as a, just a story, not as a set of propositions, but he comes to us as a person. And we can look at his life. We can listen to his teaching. We can look at his actions. We can look at how he interacts with people. We can look at his accounts of the resurrection, and we understand that he's not just an abstraction. He's not just a concept. He's a person. <laughs> he's a real historical person. And we have these amazing stories of him actually walking around and doing stuff. And these are really good and really helpful. And the second thing is this, the word made flesh, that that God in his glory, that the logic of God coming to us becomes vulnerable. He becomes soft. The divine creator of the world becomes vulnerable. And when it says that he dwelled with us, the word came to dwell with us, the literal word there is tabernacled with us. It's it's using the same word that they use to translate Exodus into the Greek and talking about Moses with a tabernacle. That's where they would meet God. It's the same word. This is the tent that Moses set up. But but this makes a really difficult thought easy for us to grasp, and it's the heart of the gospel, that Jesus is where we meet God. It's where we meet his word. It's where we understand his ideas. It's the word that comes to us, and we get it. We go, ah, tree. we, We can understand God to some extent. Because Jesus came to us as the word. So they're really interesting. So someone will occasionally ask me in conversation, you know, they'll say, so, are, so, you, so you're a really religious person, and I just bristle every time I hear it. And I go, no, I'm not religious at all. And they go, no, no, I mean it. You go to church. Like, yeah, I'm in church pretty much every Sunday. Like, you believe all the crazy stuff. Yeah, I believe all the, all the crazy stuff. So, but you're not religious? Like, no, not, I don't think of myself as religious. And this is why. This is why. Jesus says the word of God is why. Because if you just imagine that, that you had someone who didn't understand Christianity at all, and they're trying to ask about it, and they're and they're saying they're saying what kind of well what kind of religion is this? And the guy says, well, it's really not a religion; it's no religion at all, you, you know. And, and they say, well, I don't I don't understand that. It said, well, you know, where is your temple? Well, we meet at at the state theater, but Jesus is our temple. I <laughs> mean, like you know, he, he's the place where. We're in. Well, who are the priests? Well, you know, we have we have guys that will stand at front sometimes, but Jesus is our priest go, well, okay, well, what do you sacrifice? Well, you know, Jesus is our sacrifice. He's the lamb. Well, what are your high theological teachings? It's like, well, he's the word. You know, this person is our theological teaching. And we understand stuff by looking at him, the story of his life, uh, primarily. And listen, this is really helpful. If you're confused about a particular, a weird point of doctrine, just put Jesus in the picture. Well, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What did he say about this kind of thing? What, how would he respond to this line of inquiry? It can, be, it can be really helpful because he was very good at being in the moment and loving people in practical ways. So when you say, what kind of religion is this? Well, it's no kind of religion at all. Because all, all religion does, that's the man-made part of it. That's the man-made part. And, yeah, we do some of that, but it's not very interesting, to be honest in religion we do all these things to be accepted we go to the place at the time and we offer our sacrifice and we adhere to a certain code of behavior and we do those things and then we're accepted but christianity turns that on its head it turns it the other way around we don't we don't do things to be accepted we're accepted because of what jesus has done and for no other reason and now we do a bunch of cool stuff (laughs) you know it's like it's it's the other way around we still do stuff but but it's where it's, not why, it's not why we're accepted. We're accepted, then we act, not act, and then accepted. He's the end of temples. Jesus is the end of ritual. He's the end of sacrifice. And he becomes noble to us. He becomes known to us. And what we know is this. He became flesh. He became vulnerable. He became killable to be our sacrifice. And the story of Christmas is, it's a story about a baby, right? <laughs> Nothing threatening about a baby. He's safe. He's accessible. He's one of us. It's not a threat He comes as a lamb. And through Jesus we have good news of God's word to us. Like in the princess Bride, justice love, ultimate victory, he had justice. He fulfilled this on a cross, but Jesus did that. God's word to us brought us justice, and he took it upon himself with love that as you wish, he, he, took, he, he took the idea of a servant and took that on to himself. But as he acted, as he died, as he rose again, he restored us to God's family. And it's a life filled with God's love and our love for each other. And in a sense of ultimate victory, God's word isn't just an idea. He is a person. He's a person that that came as a baby. He did stuff that was incredible. He's coming again to set everything in place. And the hope of heaven is a powerful, powerful idea. It's where the perfect moment isn't fleeting, but it, it lasts forever. And so let's do this to land the plane. Words are powerful. Words are very powerful. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to use them. (laughs) If the Princess Bride has a lesson for us, it's that words are powerful. That that idea gets even bigger in Scripture and gets even bigger in the idea of Jesus as his word to us. But God draws us into this story as well. Did you ever wonder why
1: um, at the age of 27 or so, Jesus didn't sit down with a
0: really nice pen, just a good pen that molds to your hand, and just sit down and write the New Testament? (laughs) Did you ever wonder why he didn't just write the New Testament? Wouldn't that have been easier you don't have to figure out what gets in and what gets out, and does the wisdom of Solomon make it? No, well, you know, what, what, you know who, who wrote what? When did they write it? What's going on? Did you ever wonder why God did that? I, I don't know, but here's my opinion. I think he wants us to be part of the process. Even with something as important as Scripture, even with something as important as God's working in the earth, he draws us into the story. And even though we're not writing Scripture, we're still part of the story. We're still part of the mosaic of God's working in the earth so here's here's what i want you to do i want you to take just a minute i want you to think about somebody in your life somebody that you're close to somebody that might need encouragement or just something nice to happen to them and i want you to just consider that person i you know really put a name put a name to, to the face and it could be anybody and i want you this week to actively encourage them say something nice to them go out of your way to encourage them to say I really appreciate this about you. I just thanks for playing. You know, it doesn't have to be anything big and profound. You don't have to buy and dinner early if you want. But just do something nice for somebody, say something nice, but be really proactive about it. Be intentional about it. And 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 watch what happens. Sometimes these moments can take on a holy weight. There's there's a divine appointment that these things can be. And so just take a minute, think of who you would want to bless this week and just say something kind to them, say something good to them, encourage them. But I want you to, let's just take a minute and do that and then we'll we'll pray. Father, we just thank you that you are God's word to us. We thank you for the wonderful example, for the wonderful love that you gave. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that you speak to us individually. Lord, I pray that right now you would just fill us with a sense of hope and with purpose, that you would make clear what you want us to do, that you want us to use our words to bless, and that we can do that, and we can do that easily. It costs us very little. Lord, I pray that there would just be, that you would just unleash words of encouragement from us to the people in our lives this week, that you would help us see clearly what you want to do, and you would give every one of us a beautiful moment as we encourage our friends and family. In Jesus' name, amen.